I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Aging Bio is developing drugs to treat the pre-dementia stage of Alzheimer's disease and other neurological and psychiatric conditions. The company announced encouraging mid-stage results for its lead therapeutic, which works by quieting hyperactivity in the hippocampus portion of the brain, which plays a critical role in the formation of memory. We spoke to Jerry McLaughlin, CEO of Aging Bio, about the company's efforts, why this approach holds promise in delaying the onset of dementia in Alzheimer's patients, and whether this approach may have implications for other neurological and psychiatric diseases. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Dan. I really appreciate it. That's a great opportunity to be on the show with you. We're going to talk about your company, Aging Bio, which is focused on developing drugs to treat neurological and psychiatric disease, and, and some promising results you had in a mid-stage trial for your lead therapeutic to, to treat Alzheimer's. Let's start with Alzheimer's itself. Can, can you describe the disease and, and how big a problem it represents? Well, it's, it's a truly debilitating disease that has a significant impact on uh, patients, their families, society as a whole, and it's it's not just a U.S. problem, it's a global problem. Um, there are approximately 5 million patients in the United States today uh, with Alzheimer's disease. Uh, that number is expected to double over the course of the next couple of decades if nothing is done. It costs, direct medical costs to Medicare and Medicaid in the United States today are $150 billion. By 2050, that will cross the trillion-dollar mark on an annual basis. So a major, major issue. And basically what Alzheimer's is, it's a, it's a death of cells in the brain. And it goes through a progression uh, from the earliest stages, which is called amnestic myocognitive impairment, when, which is uh, represented by a significant loss of memory. And then it moves into a stage of dementia, various stages from mild to moderate to severe. And what we think of the classic Alzheimer's where a patient forgets their spouse's name, uh, they, they forget their way home. Uh, it is a disease that eventually leads to death and uh, at tremendous cost to not only the patient directly, but the family as a whole. And what's the state of therapies today to treat Alzheimer's? Unfortunately, Dan, we, we have limited options. Today, there are two classes of agents that are available. The most, the most well-known is a drug called Aricept, and these are a fine attempt to control some of the symptoms, to preserve some memory for a period of time for patients who have already progressed to Alzheimer's dementia. They typically work for anywhere from six months to two years uh, and provide some symptomatic relief, but the disease continues to progress, and there's nothing available today uh, to, to slow the progression. A lot of therapies that have been in development in recent years have focused on amyloid plaque or the tau protein. Your drug is going after a different target, hyperactivity in the hippocampus portion of the brain, an area that's critical to memory formation. Can, can you explain the link between hyperactivity in this part of the brain and, and Alzheimer's? Sure. As you think about the, as you mentioned, amyloid plaques, uh, what do we know about amyloid plaques in the relationship to Alzheimer's? Upon autopsy, 
Patients with all patients who have experienced the symptoms of Alzheimer's during their life will present with amyloid plaques. One of the, the issues is, though, that, that there's a significant percentage of patients with amyloid plaques who do never develop symptoms of Alzheimer's. Uh, these plaques can develop years, even decades, prior to symptoms. And, and so as we progress from a pre-symptomatic stage to the earliest symptomatic stage of Alzheimer's, that is where the hippocampus becomes involved. And we, we, view our, we have a, a, a common occurrence in, in patients and, and, and people as we age that's called uh, you know, senior moment, where we forget where our keys are, uh, we forgot an appointment occasionally, and that is quite normal. Uh, what, what, what we see in the, the hyperactivity or the overactivity of the hippocampus is we start to see pronounced decline in memory, where those senior moments become an everyday occurrence. And the role that the hippocampus plays is that when you start to have this overactivity, it results in atrophy to an associated portion of the brain called the entorhinal cortex. And the entorhinal cortex and the hippocampus work together to, to generate new memory for us. That's where we process our conversation here today, who we met this morning. And so we start to lose the ability to consistently preserve new memory. And what patients will often do, they'll fill in the gaps on, on a on an event, and if you know them, you'll realize that uh, they are not they are not um, recalling an event or a conversation correctly, and so that's directly related to this hippocampal overactivity, which which leads to this atrophy. And so our approach uh, was really set at modulating this overactivity, restoring it to pre-disease levels to a normal aged person. And by doing so, uh, slow down or prevent the atrophy of the internal cortex and, and thereby slowing the progression of Alzheimer's disease. Well, your, your lead therapeutic, AGB-101, is, is actually a low-dose version of a, a marketed epilepsy drug. How does it work? Yeah, so it's an SV2A ligand, and what it does, it, it, it serves to modulate neuronal firing in the hippocampus. And how it relates to this earliest pre-dementia stage of Alzheimer's, known as amnestic mild cognitive impairment, is it takes this overactivity and literally returns it to pre-disease levels. And so when you restore the normal network function within the brain, it, it preserves memory. And what we see is a restoration of normal hippocampal activity and normal entorhinal cortex function. And what we believe will then lead to the, the slowing of the progression of the disease. You recently completed a, a mid-stage trial of the drug. What did the study show and what were the endpoints? Yeah, so this was a really interesting study, and, and we think it's on the forefront of how uh, drug candidates uh, should, be, should be studied, particularly in, in, in CNS field, uh, and particularly with the brain. The goal was to test whether or not our lead compound, AGB-101, engage the brain in a manner to modulate hippocampal activity and internal cortex function um, under the stress of a memory test. So putting the brain to work, testing brain function, and then seeing the result of treatment versus placebo. And, and in this test, patients are shown hundreds of images of, of normal everyday items, a tree, a cone, um, a smiley face, things like that. And then they're, they're asked to recall whether something was the same or similar or very different. And during this time, the brain spikes in activity. And so what we found is that we had three groups. We had normal aged patients, so that was our control group. And then we had placebo group, 
and then an active group on, on our uh, drug therapy. And what we found is that those patients on placebo, their hippocampal activity spiked very high and remained very much above, significantly above normal age population. But after treatment with AGB-101, that hippocampal activity under the stress of a memory test returned to pre-disease levels. The same applied for the antirenal cortex. Uh, during during uh, uh, AMCI, you start to see an underproductivity of, of antirenal cortex function. And in our, in, our, in our study, we saw that return to normal as well. Concurrently, we measured memory performance. And as it turned out, those in the treatment group in AGB-101 performed uh, much better than those on placebo in terms of memory performance. What was really interesting in this study was that we studied three doses uh, in this trial, and we found that the two lowest doses, AGB-101, was very effective. And we found that a higher dose, still sub-therapeutic to, to existing uh, dosages of, of this molecule, levetiracetam, that are, that's available for epilepsy, it was not effective. And that was highly consistent with all the animal models that, that, that were done. Uh, we believe this is, this is due to overmodulation of the receptors, right? If you have too much of a dose, you downregulate the activity to too much of an extent, and you fail to see efficacy in this patient population with amnestic myocognitive impairment. Uh, Alzheimer's has been a, a tough disease to tackle. There have been many arguments why, but one of the issues is getting to the disease at an early enough stage that a treatment can slow or arrest progression so it has a benefit. In the case of your drug, at what point can you determine a patient is a candidate? Are you able to get to them early enough, and, and is there a role for some kind of a diagnostic here? Yes, we believe we can get to them, and that's why we're really excited about, one of the reasons we're really excited about AGB-101 is that it is the earliest symptomatic stage of Alzheimer's, memory loss, yet it's at a point where there's not significant cell death in the brain. Right? The current treatments, as we talked about earlier, are only indicated and only work once the disease has far advanced and there is a tremendous amount of neuronal death and the disease is really too far gone to, to, to really make a difference. What we know from a practical standpoint, a patient has memory loss to the point where they notice it themselves, their spouse will notice, their friends and colleagues will notice it, and they can take that information to a physician. And there are, there are suitable... Uh, interviews, there are suitable uh, uh, measures to diagnose amnestic myocognitive impairment today. What we also see is a tremendous effort to take these diagnostics to, a, to an even simpler level, to a blood test, to an eye exam, and we expect over the next few years there will be uh, several readily available to clearly diagnose amnestic myocognitive impairment. And, and because we think it's so beneficial to uh, treat the disease as early as possible. And this has been born out of the work of our founder, Michaela Gallagher at Johns Hopkins University, who has spent the better part of her career studying uh, hippocampal overactivity and understanding its relationships with Alzheimer's disease. So we're confident that by uh, intervening early, we give the best chance for patients to preserve memory to and to stave off the dementia that's associated with Alzheimer's. Uh, Dan, one, one interesting point. For every year we can delay the transition from mild cognitive impairment to Alzheimer's dementia, we can reduce the prevalence of Alzheimer's in the United States by 10%. And so the way that, way that maxes out, if we can delay it by as much as five years, we can reduce the overall prevalence of Alzheimer's by close to 50%. Well, you'll, you'll be moving to late-stage studies this year. How, how are you funding those, and, and is there an intent to find a partner? 
Yeah, so Dan, we are actively in discussions with partners today. We think that is the best path forward. Uh, we think we have tremendous uh, assets in our pipeline that, that can offer value to a partner, and in turn, a partner can help us bridge that gap from now until until FDA approval. So that that's ongoing today, and, and we're excited about the opportunity to work with a stellar partner. And are there implications for, for using the same approach in other neurological diseases or psychiatric disorders? Are, you know, is there a, a benefit to quieting the, the hyperactivity in the hippocampus that has implications for other diseases? So it's interesting you bring it up, Dan. We actually have a discovery stage program, uh, a class of agents known as GABA-A-alpha-5 positive allosteric modulators. And much like in the, in the field of the, the hippocampal overactivity, Decades ago, it was believed hippocampal overactivity was, in fact, beneficial, right? The brain is slowing down. Let's speed it up. Uh, it was the work of Johns Hopkins that proved otherwise. Now, state of the science that you want to modulate this hippocampal overactivity. Well, during that discovery stage, we found that GABA-alpha-5 positive allosteric modulation can, in fact, uh, also temper this hippocampal overactivity. And it has broad reaches beyond just mild cognitive impairment. There is evidence in animal models that it may have benefit for patients with autism and, and those with agitation related to schizophrenia as well, and possibly others beyond that. Well, this, this whole area of neurological and psychiatric disease is, is a huge potential market with great need, but we've seen such difficulty in understanding these diseases. It's one of the reasons we've had so many late-stage disappointments in this area. What's it going to take to tackle these diseases? Yes, I think it's, it, it gets back to the the hardcore basic science, and I, I look at aging bio, and there are others as well. We've learned from, from the failures of the past. I think there's been an advancement in our industry to share data. There's an Alzheimer's disease neuroimaging cooperative that, that, that shares data from, from previous trials. that We can learn from that in terms of patient selection endpoints. We're applying that as we look forward into our clinical program. I think you're seeing an advancement, the next generation of Alzheimer's candidates coming coming through the pipeline, recent data from Biogen and others, uh, the aging bio data. Uh, I think we're getting closer, and, and I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great situation where uh, it's such a big public issue that there's been tremendous sharing of data and information among scientists. Jerry McLaughlin, CEO of Aging Bio. Jerry, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, thank you, Dan, very much. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.